Good morning. How are you today? Wow, it's been a few years. Uh, it's, it's fantastic to be here after a, a while and, uh, and see a lot of faces that we haven't seen in years and, and see so many new faces. It's really a, a privilege. It's a, it's a massive privilege. It's an, honestly, it's an honor to be here once again. Uh, I was joking. By the way, let me clarify something. I, I sent a message to Bob that we were going to come here today, uh, you know, because uh, as you know, Matthew, Matthew, you know, it's getting married, and uh, he asked me to, to be the celebrant. So I was joking to Bob saying, hey, I'm going to be in town if you would like me to preach. And I put an emoji of a wink, you know, uh, you know, wink, wink, you know, like if you want me to preach, you know, I'll, I'll love to. I was joking. So, and then, you know, I got Ken sent me a text message like, you know, would you like to? And I was like, oh my goodness, uh, this is serious now. Uh, so, um, God is good. It's really good. And, and just, uh, uh, such a massive privilege to be here, uh, this morning. I just want to introduce you to Nancy. Uh, that's, uh, if you want to get up, honey. And this is my wife, Nancy. Uh, she is, uh, um, she's from, um, uh, Aruba. Um, I was born in El Salvador, that is Central America, in case you don't know. But Aruba is actually part of the Caribbeans. So um, uh, I don't know if there's ever been a person from Aruba all the way here to Kerang. And, uh, but it may be, this may be the first time ever. By the way, how amazing it is that you can go and blow up stuff. If I try to do that with a church, we probably be called terrorists or something down in Melbourne. So, you know, as exciting as that sounds, I cannot do that. It's, it's, you know, we probably have to go and watch a movie or, or stuff being blown, blown up on the big screen anyways. But it's, it's, it's great to be uh, back. Uh, we actually, um, we were pastoring until last year at Port Campbell Baptist. So we were really down south um, uh, on the Great Ocean Road, uh, pastoring there for four and a half years. And then, um, now we, we actually, uh, back in Melbourne and, um, actually, um, I'm studying. I'm going back to studies. I'm at Deakin University in Bearwood, um, studying film and TV. So we got to make a movie one day. I know that you're a bit of an actor, isn't it? You like acting. So, um, that is, that is, <laughs> okay. Uh, I, I'm always, um, fascinated by preaching and communicating the word of God. But I always had a soft spot for TV and film, and uh, um, I guess it wasn't until a few months before we left uh, Port Campbell that I started feeling it's time to move on, and felt like the Lord saying, um, it's time, to, and you can go now and do this. So um, we're doing that, and that is incredible. I, I feel like I'm the oldest guy in the room. Myself, usually, and the lecturer are the oldest people in the room. Everybody else is in 19, 18 years of age, and, you know, I'm 45. So, yeah, it's a massive gap. I could be the dad of a lot of those kids. But it's incredible. It's a great experience. Anyway, so uh, let's, let's go into uh, the message. I'm not going to keep talking more about this. But thank you for the reading of the, of the passage. It is incredible. This is a, a parable. This is a story that Jesus is telling um, the disciples. You've got to remember that this, this passage is in the context of, of, of Matthew 24, where some of the disciples are asking Jesus, when is going to be the, the end of everything? Uh, what's going to happen towards the end of time? And Jesus gives them, he gives a few parables, and this is one of them. And he's talking basically about a wedding. 
By the way, who doesn't love weddings? I, I, as a pastor, uh, I prefer weddings than funerals. And I think that is obvious uh, why. Um, and, and there are many uh, traditions. There are many ways of, of, of doing weddings. Um, um, for me, I don't know about you when you do a wedding, but for me, the most fascinating thing at a wedding is when not so much looking at the bride coming uh, from the back of the church to the altar, but looking at the groom and looking at his face. That, that, that look, I'm sure, um, you know, if you, you know, when you marry your wives, you know, gentlemen, and that look, you know, it's priceless. And for me, um, not so much, the, everybody looks at the bride. She's the center of attention. Amen, ladies? Uh, but, but the men, you know, you don't pay much attention to the men, but I love that look and, and seeing the love in the men's um, um, eyes towards his bride. You gotta remember that uh, uh, there are many uh, ways of doing uh, weddings. There are many uh, traditions. When Nancy and I got married in Aruba, the tradition is after the the um, the um, what's it called the civil wedding because you gotta do a civil ceremony first. You actually have a you share with your family a lamb soup. Don't ask me why. But that's part of it. Actually, there are many ways. I actually read that in Germany, sometimes what they do is they get a, a log, a massive piece of wood, so that after the wedding, the couple can come and cut it together. Uh, don't Germans, okay? <laughs> I try not to, if you have a German uh, background, I'm not trying to be offensive, but apparently the, the idea is that the couple can cut it together so that they can start, you know, getting used to facing difficulties together, you know? Pretty interesting. At the Philippines, they say that actually they, they like to release doves, and that's part of the tradition after a wedding. Um, in China, the brides actually, they don't wear red. They actually wear, uh, sorry, they don't wear white. They wear red because for them, red is the color of good luck. So when you go to a wedding in, in, in you know, China, the bride is, is dressed in red, you know. Um, um, apparently, um, I read that in Wales, also in Wales, the tradition is that the best man steals the bride away. I don't like that. <laughs> that that to me, when I read that, it's like that, that already sounds a bit bad and a bit scary. So the idea is that the, the best man steals the bride away and the groom has to find the bride and they are hiding in some pub. And you gotta find the pub, and you know, and when you find the bride, you are, as the groom, have to pay the tab, you know, for all that day. <laughs> so every country has a different way that are, there are, there are traditions on how we do weddings. Now you gotta remember when you read the scripture, when you read the gospels, Jesus is a Jewish man. And now when he's talking about weddings, you know, and in this passage, you know, um, about a, bra- um, a virgin, so the bride waiting for the groom to come in the middle of the night. That is part of Jewish tradition. Sometimes I find it that the more I study Jewish roots, I understand better the Bible. I understand what Jesus is saying, because if, if you study Jewish culture, a lot of the things that we, we have in the Bible actually make more sense. you got to remember that in those days, uh, Jewish people did not have any courtship. There was no dating. You probably, some of you are going like, no, I don't like that already. You know, there was nothing like that, you know, in those days. So a young man will see a young lady or, or the father or the, or the young man will see, uh, um, you know, um, a girl that he will think, you know, she will be a great wife for my son. 
So the, the groom or the possible groom and the father will come to the house of the bride with a marriage contract. It's called a ketuvah. They will come with a ketuvah and they will, um, you know, present the, the marriage contract. And if the bride or the possible bride and her father like the terms, because, you know, the contract will have all the terms and all the things that were expected of the men, all the things that were expected of the woman. Oh, by the way, the most important thing about the contract is the price that the man is willing to pay for the bride. The higher the price, the more you show that, yeah, I really want to marry this girl. A cow, maybe two cows. I don't know, I mean, you know, uh, in those days, you know, the, the more you gave, you know, the more you show, like, you really care about this person. So, you know, if the girl and the father look at the contract and they go like, yes, um, we like it, we would love to go ahead with this, then at that moment, they will be officially married. So what will happen at that point, they will get a glass of wine and they will drink it, uh, they will drink out of the glass of wine together to symbolize they are, that both of them are now under a covenant. That sounds familiar, doesn't it already? That you drink from a glass of wine and you know that you are in a covenant. He will go and when he's ready to go, he will say to his bride, now I go and prepare a place for you and I will come back for you. Doesn't that sound familiar also? Where have I read that before? <laughs> and then he will go and he will take months. He probably he will take a year. So the idea was that he would go and, and he would go to his father's house and at the property, either, either at the back of the house or next to the house, he will either build a room or he will build an extra house. And, and, and he will work for months and he will work uh, maybe a year, maybe a year and a half. But he, the, he, he was not allowed to go for the bride until the father would come and inspect the house and said, you know what? It is ready. Now you can go and get your bride. I imagine if, if Graham was my dad, and <laughs> that house would take, you know, months and years because I know this man is picky as a builder. You know, it would, it would be like, it gotta be, you know, 100% perfect. So, if you were to see this young man working, you know, in the middle of the day, building the house, and if you ask him, when is the big day? When is the wedding going to happen? He will say to you, only the father knows. Doesn't that sound familiar? Where have I heard that before? In the meantime, um, the, the, the bride, um, after the groom is gone, she will do this one thing. She will go, and actually she will go through this baptism she will go and actually baptize herself, immerse herself in water in front of her family and to symbolize that now she's under, uh, let me, let me read it. Actually, you know, last time I was here, I didn't use glasses. Uh, I cannot find it. Anyways, <laughs> she will, um, baptize herself to symbolize that now she's gone from being under the covering of her father to be under the covering of her husband. Isn't it interesting? Doesn't that sound familiar also? So, and as, and as she's waiting, she would actually have a lamp filled with oil and she would have like a small luggage prepared because she did not know at what time he would come for her. She would know that he, and in those days, in Jesus' day, the tradition was that the man, uh, when, when the father said, okay, the house is ready, the groom will take all of his friends, the, you know, all the other guys that would be with him, uh, celebrating the wedding, and they would go in the middle of the night. 
He will come to the, to the, to the lady's uh, house as a thief in the night. And someone out of the, out of the, the groom's party will shout and say, you know, he is here. Just to give the bride a few minutes so that she will prepare herself and get ready and, and, you know, um, uh, 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 turn on the lamp and get her luggage. And she actually will have other women with her, probably her sisters, probably other, some of the best friends that will be sleeping in her room for weeks, for months, months, waiting for the day when the groom will come. That's what weddings were like in Jesus' day. I don't know about you, but when you hear this already, isn't it that the parable takes on a different light and things actually start sound very differently? I don't know, my friends, but uh, I, uh, I I don't know, but uh, we find ourselves as Christians at a point in time when Jesus, we're waiting for his return. And, and, and Jesus is saying, you know, that uh, at that time, at the time of the end, um, he says, you know, the kingdom of heaven is like, you know, 10 virgins that are waiting, you know, for the return um, of the groom. And we find ourselves at that time in history now. We find ourselves at that time where we are waiting and, and, and expecting to hear that shout at any moment that is going to uh, cry out. And, and we're going to be like, our Lord is here. It's time now to go and, and be with them. It's interesting because, uh, you know, the, the, the Bible all this time has been telling us and I believe when, when I, when I study Jewish history and I look at the Bible, actually I realize, and I don't know if you realize this, is that we are in the middle of a love story. Your relationship with Jesus is basically a love story. My relationship with Him is a love story. I, I, sometimes we come to church and we think it's all about the do's and the don'ts. It's more than that. But this passage and all of the story, the, 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 what the Bible, what Jesus is telling us is that we actually are living a, the greatest love story ever told. That God is in love with you and that he gave the biggest price to get your hand in marriage. Isn't it interesting? The Bible says that we are, that the church is the bride of the Lord Jesus Christ. Actually, I was going to have a PowerPoint, but the computer was playing up this morning, so I apologize for that. But in Ephesians 5, verses 22 to 32, you can read that the church is the bride of Jesus Christ. Jesus says, uh, Paul says actually in 1 Corinthians 6, 20 and 2 Corinthians 5, 21, that Jesus paid an amazing price so that we could become, you know, children of God. How many times do we take communion here? Is it still once a month? Twice a month. So every time that we take communion, isn't it when we drink the when we eat the bread and we drink the, the wine or the or the drink, we say, you know, we remember the Lord's death, we remember his sacrifice. My friends, we are remembering the greatest sacrifice, the greatest price that was paid so that we could become part of the family of God, just like a, a Jewish wedding. And when we go through the waters of baptism, we actually are declaring publicly that there is a change of state. That we actually have been moved from death 
to actually to newness of life according to Romans 6 verses 1 to 4 that we have been delivered from the power of darkness and brought into the kingdom of God according to Colossians 1 13 and 14. And you know, and, and, and isn't it incredible now when, when I see that it's like baptism is, is incredible. And, and I, I'm sure that some of you have done it, but if you haven't done it, I'm sure you can speak with Bob after the service and say, you know what? I, I'm, I'm excited about it. I want to get baptized because I want to declare to the whole world that actually I'm setting myself apart for Jesus because I want to follow him because he's the greatest love that I've ever found in this world. And I, and I want to follow him with all of my heart. When the bride, uh, not only she would baptize herself, and, and uh, but actually the in the in the wedding period, any time that she went out of the house, she would wear a veil. Nobody was allowed to see her face. The veil was taken, if not after the honeymoon, where everybody would see her face for the first time. You know, when she was officially married with her husband, isn't it interesting that we actually we. And actually, in those days, if, if uh, no guy was allowed to come, you know, by seeing the veil, any man would say, oh, she's already taken. She's already taken. And the same thing happens with us, my friends. Actually, when those women used to wear veils, actually, everybody in the community would say, she has been set apart or she has been consecrated. That was the language that they would use. Now, the Bible says that you and I are a chosen generation. The Bible says that we are a royal priesthood, that we are a holy nation, that we are God's special people. That's who we are. That we have been set apart for the Lord. That, that means that we don't go out in, to the well and we play with, with other lovers because we have set ourselves apart and our love and our affection is only for our Lord Jesus Christ. And as we wait for his return, according to John chapter 14, verse 2, this is what Jesus said to the disciples. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. So we've been waiting, what, 2,000 years. Can you imagine what this house is going to look like? He's been spending 2,000 years preparing this house, preparing this mansion for you and for me. That's going to be something, isn't it? I'm sure I can, I cannot wait to see Graham measuring and looking at, and going in here like, wow, why didn't I ever came up with these ideas, Lord, to build houses on earth? You know, this is incredible. 2,000 years. And he says, I'm going to come back for you. Isn't it interesting? Because the Bible says that nobody knows the hour or the day. Only the Father knows. Just like in a Jewish wedding. One day the Father is going to say to the Son, you know what? It's time, baby. Now it's time. Go and get the bride. Go and get her. She's ready. She's waiting for you. It's going to happen. And I think it's going to happen so, so soon. So it dawned on me the other day that actually our story of redemption, your story of redemption, is a Jewish love story. Water baptism, communion, holiness, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. All of those things are elements of a Jewish wedding. And you and I are part of the most incredible, the greatest love story ever told. And, and probably we did not even realize it. At the end of the day, salvation is basically the start of a love relationship between Jesus Christ and yourself. It's a relationship, my friends. It is a relationship. It's a love relationship between you and Jesus Christ. Nothing more, nothing else. So this parable is about ten virgins. 
that are waiting for the coming of the bridegroom. The Bible says the five are smart, five of them are wise, and the other five are not so smart, they're foolish. And the wise ones, the difference between them is that they have extra oil. Now, in the Bible, oil is a picture of the Holy Spirit. When you read Isaiah 61.1 and Acts 10.38, uh, the Holy Spirit is referred to as, as oil. You know, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, said Jesus. And you know, therefore, the Lord has anointed me. And you know, when you talk about anointing, he's talking about oil. And so the Holy Spirit is spoken of as oil. So a lot of people said, you know, the, 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 what, what the passage, what Jesus is saying is that they had oil, you know, the Holy Spirit, they had extra. But, and, and they would only stay with that. I personally think that is, yes, it means being filled with the Holy Spirit, but I think it means so much more. Because as a Christian, you're not only filled with the Spirit, but what do you do? You pray, isn't it? You read the Word of God. You study the Word of God. You are in communion with your brothers and sisters. Uh, you give a tenth out of your uh, salary to the Lord, happy, joyfully, because you, you're being so blessed that you want to give to the Lord. And, and, you, and you give offerings, and you do all of these things. Basically, I truly believe that this includes anything and everything that will take us over the finish line. Includes more than the Holy Spirit. Includes prayer. Includes Bible reading. Includes faith. Includes holiness. The question is, do we, are, are we prepared? And, 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 and how, how ready are we? I mean, uh, do you have that extra oil? What is your walk with Christ like? I, I hope that you are, you find yourself, you know, like if the Lord Jesus were to come today, you can say without, with no doubt, with all certainty, you know what? I'm ready. If Jesus comes today, I'm ready to go. I don't, I don't want to sound morbid, but how many of you, when you start thinking that one day you're going to die, you get excited about the day of your death? Okay, and, and, uh, okay, okay, I got one person at the back. Good. Uh, thank goodness, I thought I was the only weird one. <laughs> okay, at least the two of us here. Okay, let, let me explain myself. You die, you close your eyes. Okay, I have a prayer though. I tell the Lord when I die, I still want to look cute on the casket, okay? <laughs> if I died in an accident or anything, I still want my face to look good, okay? That's all I'm asking. Take me any way you want, but as long as I look okay in the casket, you know, I don't know. it's up to him anyway at the end of the day. Um, but... What happens at the moment you close your eyes and suddenly you open them and, and you know, you, you come into the presence of the Lord and so you see Jesus for the first time. You see your brothers and sisters. You know, I, I come back and, and, they, and you and start hearing, oh, such and such passed away and this person passed away and you go like, wow, you know, they, they're not with us anymore. And actually, I was telling Sue uh, yesterday that I had a testimony the other day of a brother who said that he, he died, he had a near-death experience. And this man says that as you go to heaven, before you enter the main area in heaven, there is like a foyer, like, you know, like we have there. And in that section is all the friends and relatives that knew you on earth, the people that you actually um, affected for Christ. The people that you spoke to about the, the gospel. Can you imagine the people that came to know Jesus because of you? 
And they are there on the forehead and they give you the biggest hug. You go like, thank you. If it wasn't for you, I would not be here right now. And your family and your friends, everybody that has gone ahead of you, they are there waiting for you. And then they usher you into heaven. I don't know if it is true, but I think it's a beautiful picture, isn't it? Because uh, there are so many people that I cannot wait to see. I have a grandfather, my mom's dad, that he was an amazing man of God. My mom tells all these amazing stories. So he's a, he was a very quiet man, not as loud as I am. Um, <laughs> and, but, but he had an incredible faith in Jesus. And my mom, he died when mom was only eight years of age. But mom's life was changed because of the testimony of that man that was faithful to Jesus to the very end. I cannot wait to meet him, really, and see him and, and hugging him chat with him and, and share stories, you know? So, okay, what if we don't die today? But what if Jesus comes today? The question is, are we ready? I mean, uh, are we excited about it? Are we actually preparing ourselves, you know? Am I, am I, am I doing anything and everything possible um, to prepare myself? In verse 6, actually, um, we hear that, um, that there was a cry that was heard at midnight. And I believe that there are signs everywhere that are telling us, you know, that Jesus Christ is actually closer than we ever imagined. And, and you know, when you read Matthew 24, the first few chapters, Jesus tells you that we are about, or we are entering, or we are in a, in a time period called, uh, the, the beginning of birth pants and, and, and a time where we're going to see earthquakes. Like never before, and when you and you read articles, um, you know you can see that seismic activity is increasing all over the world. Now we have volcanoes, isn't it? That are exploding. You saw what's going on in Hawaii, for example. I mean, Nancy was showing me the other day that tickets to go on holiday in Hawaii are so cheap right now because nobody wants to go there because you never know a volcano may go off at any moment again. We have earthquakes and we have tsunamis just a few days ago. There was another tsunami that took so many lives in Indonesia. Jesus says that uh, towards the end, you know, there will be persecution. And in a few weeks ago, actually, the persecution in China increased once again. In the Middle East, it's difficult. You pay with your life if you say you are a follower of Jesus Christ. Jesus says that deception is going to be greater. And I don't know about you, but I think deception has a lot to do with what we carry in our hands. We have access to Twitter, we have access to Facebook, we have access to Instagram. Isn't it interesting that now, uh, if you disagree with some things that everybody else agrees with, you start to get punished. If you don't agree with same sex and you start saying, you know what, I don't agree with that, you start to get in trouble. It seems like just there is this one narrative is accepted and anything else. Recently, actually, did you know that Facebook got rid of hundreds of, um, uh, what's it called, uh, natural uh, health pages? People that have their, their livelihood on Facebook, and they're actually encouraging people to use plants and use uh, fruits and things like that to regain their health. All of that was gone in one day. Why is that? Why is it that a lot of ministries are actually being, the pages are being taken down? Actually, a church, um, Discover Church, uh, England Waverly, um, with Pastor Steve Chocolanti, that church, uh, we have the most watched Australian Christian channel in all of YouTube. Uh, 
Christian Channel is viewed more than Hillsong and, and, and Planet Shakers. Uh, or sermons, sorry. Yeah, the sermons that Pastor Steve preaches there. But isn't it interesting that from time to time, uh, YouTube will, you know, just stop one of them and get rid of it. Because the pastor is talking about politics, he's talking about the truth, he's talking about what is happening in the world today. Why is it that it's only one narrative? Why is it that we cannot talk about, we disagree with you, and this is what actually we, 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 are, we, we know, can we talk? But it seems like that is what's going on in the world today. So we have all these signs that are basically screaming and telling us that Jesus Christ is coming, and we have to make ourselves ready. Jesus says there will be persecution, and actually reading an article for, from the independent newspaper from in the UK. It's a 2014 article. This is from eight years ago. The article is called Christians, the, the World's more, Most Persecuted People. And there is a quote here. The Center for the Studies of Global Christianity in the United States estimates that 100,000 Christians now die every year. Targeted because of the faith that is, 11 Christians die every hour. So what time is it now? 11.28. Okay, I'm going to finish soon, okay? <laughs> 11.28. So before we, by the time we reach 12 o'clock, another 11 Christians would have died. Some part of the world because of the faith in Jesus. We are fortunate, isn't it? But even now, if you want to express your views... We were talking about it, you know, and, and you can, I didn't come, I didn't come here to cause trouble, but, um, you know, why is it that during the whole same-sex marriage debate, we didn't hear much about Christians, pastors, standing up for marriage, because this is how God made it. The only person that I saw was uh, Margaret Court, and she got trashed by the media, didn't she? Why didn't some of the other big pastors in Australia took a stand and said, you know what, we actually stand with this woman? Why is it that we're so scared about the media? Why are we so scared about the government? Why are we so scared that we're going to get sued or being taken to court? I mean, wasn't there a Catholic priest just recently in Tasmania being taken to court because he was giving pamphlets saying, you know what, marriage is between a man and a woman? A Catholic priest. He's not even an evangelical or a Christian like you, you know, Baptist or Pentecostal or Assemblies of God. It's a Catholic priest that stands for the truth. But it seems like there is only now one thing. So all of these things are happening that are telling us that Jesus Christ is coming again. In verse 8, the Bible says that the foolish uh, virgins told the wise ones, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. Now, if, if the oil represents the Holy Spirit, if oil represents a close relationship with Jesus Christ, then honestly, I wish I could give you some of my oil. But it's, it's impossible. It's hard. I can give, I can encourage you. I can talk to you. I can pray with you. We can read the word of God together. We can study. We can go and blow things up together and, you know, encourage each other that way. Get your anger. Amen, gentlemen. That way. Um, but, my friends, at the end of the day, salvation is personal, but a Christian walk is actually done in community, in family. And you and you alone determine how close you get to the Lord. Not me, nor your mom, nor your dad, you yourself determine 
how close you get to the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, James chapter 4 verse 8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. You take the first step towards the Lord and he, then he takes a step towards you. That's how it works. That's how it is. But, you know, you cannot come and say, you know, I, I want your... Uh, sometimes I see churches where, you know, young people, and I understand the, the, what they're trying to do. It's like, please, pastor, pray for me, you know, because I want to have the same anointing that you have. But you got to remember that pastor got into that position because he spent probably many years working. Probably some of those years, nobody knew who he was. Nobody really cared who he was, but he spent hours studying the Word of God, hours praying, hours being in communion with the Holy Spirit to get to that position. I mean, I wish it was just as easy, isn't it, to just lay hands and whoop, it suddenly happens you are super spiritual, but it takes time, it takes discipline. And we are hearing that the Holy, the Lord is coming, and we think that in two or three minutes we can have the perfect Christian life. I'm sorry, my friends, it, it takes time. And you have to work at it. You're looking all serious. Okay, I'm going to finish now. I'm kidding. I like joking, okay? So I apologize for that. I actually got in trouble the other day. I was preaching at Warnambu Baptist. And this guy came up to me at the end of the service. He said, you, get, you say too many jokes. That's not good. <laughs> okay. Sorry. <laughs> and then the passage finishes. Jesus finishes uh, saying, you know, watch therefore. For you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. We don't know. Only the Father knows. And that's what makes this thing more interesting, isn't it? How many of you like surprises? Yeah? Do you like the surprise that Jesus wants to give you? Yeah, you know, some of us like, ah, please, Lord, don't come today because, you know, my life is probably not the best. He's going to give us a big surprise. That was part of the romantic way of doing weddings in Jesus' name. That was part of it. The guy would come in the middle of the night like a thief in the night and steal the bride away. And Jesus is using Jewish language to tell us, I'm going to do the same thing to you. So you better be ready. You better have extra oil. You better have your lamp there ready. Because you got to remember, in those days, the streets were not like the streets we got here. And, and you know, you have to walk in this rocky ground. You needed a lamp to see uh, where you were putting your feet on, you know. So um, they needed those things. We need to make ourselves ready. We need to prepare ourselves. My friends, the time of playing Christian actually has come and gone. If you choose to follow Jesus Christ, it's going to cost you. If you choose to be a Ferenkin follower of Jesus Christ, a serious follower of Jesus Christ, it's going to cost you from now on. The question is, are you willing to pay that price? We just recently saw that in China, a few weeks ago, the persecution in China intensified now. Interestingly enough, Google is helping the Chinese government to develop algorithms so that they can put a tick on every citizen. If you comply with the government, you get a good tick. If you're a Christian and don't comply with the government, you get a bad tick, and then you get in trouble. Did you know that in India, in the last few months, everybody had to register and put their names down, you know, and, and now you're part of this database that is, part of, I think, now part of the, the, the United Nations, 
and that you cannot sell or buy unless you have the new ID from the Indian government? Chinese, uh, Indian believers, actually, they've been asking themselves, they've been Christians like you and me, have been freaking out, wondering, is this the mark of the beast? What are we going to do? And, and, and we were talking about a case where this young man wanted to go to university, but he did not want to register. And they took the case to court, and the judges were like, you have to register. Did you know that in the United States, they're also doing the same thing? But no one in the media is talking about it. By August next year, 2019, everybody in the United States needs to get this new ID. And if you do not get it, you cannot fly out of the country or anywhere in the country. If you don't got a new ID, you cannot go into a government building. I don't think it's the mark of the beast, but I think the stage is being prepared for what's coming. Jesus is coming back again soon. The question is, are we ready? Are we ready to pay a price? First Peter chapter 2, verse 11 says that we are foreigners and exiles. I love what the New Living Translation says. We are temporary residents and foreigners. My friends, we are passing through. A king is coming for us. And we got to concentrate on the sanctions, on what's more important. But you got to look at your life and, and assess your life. And the most important thing is your family, is your wife, is your husband, is your children. is the testimony that you give to them. Because I don't know about you, but I want my family to be with me in heaven. Amen? And, and you know, and, and if I... And if I've been lacking in my prayer, I'm going to pray. If my children don't want anything to do with the Lord, then I don't care. But I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to pray harder than ever before because I know, I know that there is a promise in the Bible that says, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you and your household shall be saved. So I'm going to hold on to that promise and say, and claim that one day they will come to know the Lord. <laughs> Amen. Romans 13, 11 says, the, this is all the more urgent, for you know how late it is. Time is running out. Wake up, for our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. And then in First Peter 4, 7, it says, The end of, thi- the, the end of all things is ne- nearer. Therefore be alert and sober of mind, so that you may pray. Time is running out, and Peter is saying, you know, as time is running out, you have to clear your mind, and you got to pray like you never prayed before. Let me finish with two things. The first one, um, we had a, uh, one of our deacons in church. His name is Shane. He's a surfer. You know, we live, we live on the, near the Great Ocean Road, you know, in Port Campbell. It's a beautiful place that you can go and surf. And Shane does his ritual every morning. You know, he goes and surfs for about an hour a day. You know, uh, it, it's really cool anyways what he does. Um, and I had a dream the other day, just closer to our time, as we were preparing to leave Port Campbell Baptist. And in the dream, I was dreaming that there was a trumpet that we could hear all over the world. There was a trumpet sound in the heavens. That's what the dream was like. And in the dream, Shane and I started going through all the houses of all the church members, telling them, Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Let's get ready. And in the dream, some said, you know, yes, we can hear it. We're ready. And others were like, eh, whatever. And that was it. That was my dream. You know, and I just thought, like, isn't it interesting because there is a phenomena, I don't believe me, you can research it yourself, but a lot of people are saying that they can hear like a trumpet sound in some parts of the world. I don't know. It's interesting. It's interesting phenomena. 
Maybe it's a warning, but in my dream, that's what I was dreaming, that there was a trumpet sound and inside of me, I knew it. We knew it, that we just had no months, no years. We had days, we had weeks, because Jesus was coming back again. Remember, there is a shout. You will know. If you're paying attention, you will know. You will understand that Jesus is, is close. And in the dream, we started telling everybody, get ready, get ready. And everybody, some were like, eh, whatever. Time is running out. It's time for us to wake up. It's time for us to, you know, really get serious about our faith. Have we never been serious? And finally, in Revelation chapter 22, verse 17, the Bible has the most amazing ending. Um, I don't know about you, but I, I like spoiler reviews. My wife tells me off about that. Because whenever I go out and watch a movie, I like to hear reviews about the movie. Especially when it comes to the superhero movies, Avengers, anybody? Praise God. I want to know what's going to happen. I want to know who dies. I want to know who survives. I want to know if the bad guy is going to win. And so I'm always searching, and, you know, whenever I find something that gives me, like, the whole story, I mean, I still get excited when I go to the movies, okay? I get my popcorn, my drink, and I'm like, yay, you know? Go, Captain America. Go, Iron Man, you know? (laughs) Go, Hulk. Uh, you know, I, I still get excited, and my wife tells me off because she's like, I don't want to know anything about it. I just want to go with no idea. I mean, after walking out of Avengers, she's like, that's the worst movie we've ever seen because it's depressing. A lot of the good guys died at the end of the movie, and I tell her, it's, it's comics. It's okay. They may be losing now, but in the next movie, they're going to win. You read the book of Revelations, and you come to the end, and you know what happens? We win. You come at the end of Revelation and you discover that Jesus has won. And I love how Revelation 22 verse 17 finishes. The Bible says, And the Spirit and the Bride, the church, say, Come, Lord Jesus. Spoiler review. We win. Jesus Christ wins. Satan loses at the end. But, but, there is a cry in the heart of the church. There is a cry in the heart of the Holy Spirit that says, Come, Lord Jesus. And I encourage you, I challenge you to pray and ask the Holy Spirit, I want to live every day with that prayer in my heart. Jesus, if you come today, I want to see you. I want to see the most beautiful face, the face of my Lord and my Savior. That's okay. Last time I was here, I cried a little bit. I don't want to cry again. But I don't know if you get excited, I get emotional when I think about that. Because when I get to heaven, I'm going to see the face of my Lord. And, and you see him smiling and looking back. And, you know, we were watching, I can only imagine last night. I've never seen that movie. But that song is incredible, isn't it? Because it tells you, he says, I, I don't know. I may start dancing. I may start weeping. I may start I don't know. I, and I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know what you're going to do, Bob. What are you going to do when you see the Lord? Yeah, you cry a lot. I think I'll do the same thing. I don't know. We're probably going to get on our knees and just go like, you know, thank you. Thank you. You know? But there is a cry. At the end of the book, there is a cry. And I pray that that will be your prayer, that that will be your cry and my cry between now and, and the day the Lord comes again. 
that we will go throughout the day, throughout our lives. Yes, going to work. Yes, washing dishes. dishes yes, changing nappies. Amen. Whatever you do through life, preparing sermons. But when we stop and ponder, we go like, come, Lord Jesus. Come. I'm ready. I'm ready. Or if you're not ready, help me, Lord, to be ready. Help me to correct things. Help me to draw closer to you. A Holy, a Holy Spirit is good at answering those prayers. Did you know that I like to ask him all the time to remind me of things? Uh, anybody is a bit forgetful here? Okay, just a few of us, isn't it? Okay. But I like to go around telling, Holy Spirit, remind me. Even the other day, I bought a present, a Christmas present. Husbands, hurry up. It's October. The time is, Christmas is, is getting closer, but Holy Spirit, remind me, you know, and he's good at doing that. So may we go out of this place with a prayer that says, Holy Spirit, I want to have that cry in my heart. Come, Lord Jesus, come. And if I'm not ready, help me to be ready. And if I'm ready, Lord, help me to continue telling others about you. Help me to pray more. Help me to be more disciplined. Help me to set me on fire. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit, Jesus says, I will baptize you in Holy Spirit and on I will baptize in Holy Spirit and fire. Oh, I wonder what that is like. But it must be good. Because all the rubbish disappears and only the gold, the precious stays. We need that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you uh, in Jesus' name for who you are and for the privilege, Lord, to uh, come and, and See my friends, so many beautiful faces of those whom, you know, we, we saw last about 10 years ago and so many new faces. And, and Father, I just thank you for every heart. I thank you for every family. Father, I pray that in the name of Jesus, you will help us be prepared. You are coming really, really soon. And time is running out. Give us eyes give us hearts and minds that will be sensitive to your voice, Holy Spirit. Sensitive to your cry, the groom is coming, get ready. Help us to be filled with your presence, Holy Spirit, to be prepared. Not to take the word of God when we read it as, oh, I had to read again, but this is the most exciting reading I'll ever do in my life. This is God telling me how much he loves me. Lord, I want to hear your voice. And when it comes to prayer, you'll pray like never before. And whenever you get it, you will go out of your house with a, crying, with a prayer in your heart saying, Lord, give me opportunities to share the gospel with others. Give me opportunities, Lord, to, um, to speak about you to other people. Holy Spirit, would you please put that crying in our hearts. Jesus, come. As I go to bed, come, Lord Jesus. As I sleep through the night, come, Lord Jesus. As I wake up, come, Lord Jesus. As I go through life and work, studies, come, Lord Jesus. I'm ready. I'm ready. I cannot wait to see you. If you're here this morning and, and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I encourage you to make it right. 
we've been reading that salvation is perhaps the most amazing. It is the most amazing love story ever because basically God has is, is been saying to us, or the Holy Spirit has been saying to us this morning, salvation is just the beginning of the greatest love story you will ever live. And maybe you don't even ha- you haven't even surrendered your life to Jesus. And I pray that if that is you, that you will come to Bob or myself or one of the leaders and tell them, you know what? I want to give my life to Jesus. Or I want to get baptized. I have never get baptized. I always put it off, but I want to do it because I want to publicly declare that I'm setting myself apart so that I can follow Jesus. I'm going to consecrate myself for Him. You probably are here this morning and think, you know, well, uh, I'm, I'm not that ready and I have so many issues. Just, again, come and speak to your pastor or one of the leaders and, you know, get someone that loves you and cares for you and get yourself accountable with a, a more mature Christian that can help you, that you can help, help, you know, they can help you, you know, get some things in order. Because we are running out of time and you need to focus on the essentials. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for this beautiful privilege. Lord, I will always be grateful for this day, for this moment. Thank you because you are so good. And Father, I pray your blessings on Bob and his family, on the leadership of this church, in the whole church family. I pray that all of them together as the day gets closer, we'll be ready to receive you, Lord. And the heart cry of this church will be, come, Lord Jesus, come. We're ready for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless.